I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hope everybody's doing well today. I want to welcome everyone to the Unimpressed podcast. Today we have comedian Tom Cotter from America's Got Talent on the show today. So welcome from New York, Tom. How you doing, man? Welcome back, Cotter. I like it. Very nice. Uh, yeah, I'm in New York and uh, delighted to be with you. Thanks for having me. Nice, nice. So you're, are you from New York? I'm originally from my mother's uterus, but uh, oh, okay. that was in Providence, Rhode Island at the time. So <laughs> when, you, when you want to do comedy and you live in Rhode Island, you either need to go an hour north to Boston or three hours south to New York. So I first went to New York, to Boston, rather, did uh, six years there and then moved to New York. And I've been here ever since. OK, are you uh, I see that comedy seller uh, yeah. T-shirt. Are, do you do a lot of shows at the comedy seller? That is one of the many rooms we have here in New York, New York City, and they're very good to me. They always have been. And I, I like to think I'm good to them. So, yeah, I love working down there. Nice. So what is your you know, how did you get in? to going to America's Got Talent. I do know the casting agent there. And what has that done for you uh, till today? The show is a behemoth. It's wonderful. Uh, we, you know, I've been at this for 30 years, so over 30 years. So we all do late night. Everybody's done, you know, uh, Conan or, or Letterman or Leno. Every comic does those. But if you do those, you get maybe 5 million people. Uh, seeing you because it's late at night and half of those people are asleep, just their TV still on. So the Nielsen ratings are deceptive. When you do America's Got Talent, our worst rating was 13 million. And that was for a rerun. We had 20 million, a couple of episodes. It's just a lot of eyeballs. People are not just uh, watching, they're engaged. They're actively engaged in the show. So the show is gigantic. And uh, it was, I got very lucky to get on there and uh, it was the best thing that's ever happened in my career. Now, do you think that's the new wave? I mean, we're in comedy and we manage a couple comedians and, you know, we've built built our guys through social. Um, and we had one comedian. We sold out 150 shows in a row. And now, you know, in the, you, if you look at the comest, <clears throat> if you look at the comedy industry now, right, compared to, say, 10, 15 years ago. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Where's the transition? Where's the dilution? What do you see as an, an upswing uh, with how social is kind of taking that that tonight show position. So do you think this American got talent for say a comedian that's out there is the way to go to look at that, to help your career? Because I, I do know a lot of people have been on, you know, the tonight shows and, and so forth. And that was supposed to be like the, you know, the breadwinner, right? When you got a a tonight show gig, you're off to the races. And now some of these guys do that show and they can't sell tickets. Yeah. But the guys who are selling tickets are the guys on social media. What is your your take on that? Yeah, there really has been a, a seismic shift in the industry. And I was chatting with uh, one of your coworkers uh, this morning, uh, Tyler McKinley, and uh, he was he put me in uh, onto some of your guys that you handle. And you really are. I I have to say, uh, and I'm not just saying this because I'm on with you right now. Uh, that is the cutting edge where, where it used to be. To your point. When you used to do Johnny Carson, if he summoned you over to the couch, you you were anointed. You made it. Uh, the next day, your phone rang off the hook, and you were booked for three years solid, making ridiculous money. Um, even if he just waved at you, you you still you know got a nice bump just being on the show. But there was only one show at that time. Then that got watered down because then you had Conan, you had Letterman, you had Kimmel, you had all these other kind of knockoffs of the Tonight Show, and uh, now. Doing things like, uh, for me, it was America's Got Talent. That raised my my level. But doing these videos and, and having a big social media presence is what puts asses in seats, pardon my language. But that's really what does. That, that sells tickets and that's put. So I just did a show a weekend down at a club called Sandman Comedy Club in Richmond, Virginia. And they were telling me that the people they had on that were social media sensations were the ones who were really selling tickets. And people like myself, we did okay. I mean, we, you know, we had a nice weekend there. We had good, good crowds, but the, you know, the lines out the door are the people from social media that are making, you know, that are sensations and have viral, viral videos and have, uh, you know, a million followers. Those are the people that are now putting butts in seats. And it's just amazing to see the transition from like guys I looked up to when I started some of those guys still have black and white headshots. They don't even have a website. They have zero social media exposure. Uh, and they're really, really funny guys, yet they can't get arrested, let alone booked. And then the guys who, uh, there are some people on social media that are uh, that have a great social media presence, but then they show up at the comedy club and they only have 15 minutes worth of stand-up. So that, that's, a, you know, the downside of that. But definitely what you guys are into now, which is promoting people on social media, that is the new behemoth. That's the new game in town. You're no longer sending a tape. Now you're sending a click or a a link. And, uh, you know, it's all about followers. Well, I I think something you said there is a key, a key comment in this scenario, which I've always said talent is talent. It doesn't matter what medium this talent comes from. And I always said that, uh, you know, social media influencer or, or YouTube star, whatever you want to call it, uh, is a bad word. And I think what why I think why people still call these, you know, talents 
you know, influencers or social media stars is because the middle part you said where the translation to stage, right? And I think, uh, you know, being able to translate that talent from social to stage is a big deal. And that's where the burn is because you may run into those guys that have a big following that can't translate to stage. Um, you think they can ever start defining that where talent is talent and we can cut the, the fat per se where these guys that can't translate to stage? I think the market will do that for you. I think, you know, if, if these guys can't hold their own on stage, then the people won't come back and see them again. But if they can, if they are, and the guys that I saw that uh, Mr. McKinley put me onto this morning all seem to be not just great on social media, but have great stage presence and have, you know, a, a great act. Uh, it reminds me of when I first got into NACA, which is the National Association of Campus Activities. Uh, there were guys who you'd go and do a showcase and the showcase was only seven minutes long. And in those seven minutes, those kids would kill. And then they'd show up at a college and be booked to do an hour. And after seven minutes, they had nothing left. So it was 45 minutes of agony after their first 15 minutes where they really had all their best material, their only material. Um, so there are some people on social media, but I think that there's a thinning of the herd. I think those people are being weeded out and the people who really are talented and have, uh, you know, a great uh, actor, a great stage presence, uh, a great show to put on, if they can uh, marry that with a social media exposure, then that's the golden ticket. That's really what uh, takes it. From my experience watching the guys I'm working with, there are people in my uh, kind of inner circle that are that have just tremendous social media exposure and then they get on stage and blow the roof off the place. And so uh, that's the golden ticket, I think. And what, what is your um, vein of relatability? My what? Your vein of relatability. You know, I always say comedians have a certain relatable story in their act. Is there something that you, that you kind of stay with? We may have called that a hook back in, in my day. Uh, you know, what's your what's your hook? And I never really had a hook. I have a style. My style of comedy is kind of a rapid fire misdirection comedy that goes all the way back to vaudeville. But it's a style that I kind of honed in Boston and then brought down to New York with me. So it's not just set up punchline. It's set up punchline, tagline, tagline, tagline. And each tagline takes a left turn or is a misdirection. So there's a lot of double entendre and innuendo and puns and stuff like that. It's fun to write, but uh, uh, it can be exhausting after an hour just because it's a lot of material crammed into a short amount of time. So that's my thing, but I know other comics have a great hook. They just have, you know, something that like, get her done. You know, Larry, the cable guy has done wonderfully with that over the years. And Jeff uh-huh. Foxworthy's you might be a redneck if so a lot of guys have those hooks um, I never really had one. And who have you worked with? Who have you worked with in your, your career? Uh, so, worked with to, uh, on stage. Yeah. Just who have you worked with, you know, done a show with or yeah, that uh, you looked up to or respected. Uh, I used to open for the Smothers Brothers a lot. Old school people. I like Joan Rivers. Um, I got to work with her on America's Got Talent. A uh, lot of music acts I've opened for, but the guys in my, 
field that I really love. Don Gavin is a guy out of Boston. He's an old school comic, uh, does a lot of ships now or did until the pandemic. Um, but he's he's of that vein. He's the misdirection guy. Wendy Liebman is uh, also in that same style of comedy. Um, I like working with my wife, who's also a comic, Carrie Louise. So okay. uh, I have to say that. So I remain married. And yeah, there are a lot of uh, people <laughs> that I work with that I love. Oh, now, how does that how does that work? Two comedians married together. How does that work? Because they're very unique characters in my experience. Yeah. Comedians are. We are an endangered species. There are not many <laughs> married comedy couples and people get nostalgic for it. They long for Burns and Allen and Nichols and May and uh, Lucy and Desi, but there just aren't that many of us out there now. So we get called in to do that uh, pretty frequently because people, again, just it harkens back to their youth. So older crowds like to see that more than younger crowds. And But younger crowds like to see it too. It's just an interesting dynamic. It's hard for us to, we do a comedy team thing, but it's not that easy for us because her style is very different than my style. Again, I'm a rapid fire one-liner kind of guy and she is a storyteller. So to marry those two styles together is a challenge, Uh, but we do it and we have a lot of fun doing it. It's great to work with her. You know, it's also saves the booker money because it's one hotel room and we're pretty low maintenance. Well, what is how, when you're not doing comedy in your home, do do y'all get up and say, Hey, Let's let's work on this bit. Let's do this. What do you do outside of the comedy deal well, as, a, I, as a couple, just as a normal, normal thing? Well, we're parents. We have uh, three boys. So that takes up a lot of our free time uh, today. Case in point, I have stuff going on with my youngest um, and my wife is right now. We have a summer house up on Cape Cod and she's up there for the month of July. I just came home because uh, I had to do something here in the city. So uh, we. Uh, you know, when we're together, we like to, she writes for me, I write for her. If she has something that she comes up with, she thinks would be right for my act, she'll throw it to me and vice versa. Um, So we do that. Uh, But we also, she's auditioning for stuff. And there's, there's, uh, you'd think we work an hour a night that we'd have a ton of free time. We don't. It's, uh, there's a lot going on. Yeah. Well, the days and it's, when you get busy in this business, the days go by very, very fast. Uh, if, if is what I've learned, uh, if you will. Tell now, my dad I, that, will you? Because he thinks I'm a load. He thinks, oh, you work <laughs> an hour a night, you're not doing anything. He doesn't know how long it takes to develop an act, how long, you know, you got to travel to get to the gig, and there's all those nightmares involved. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it can be daunting. So has has – being married to a comedian and having kids, has that rubbed off on the kids? Do any of the kids want to follow suit? My oldest has already told us that he will uh, try comedy, but he wants to be an engineer. So he wants to do it as a, as a hobby. He's much more realistic about it. Um, so that's how I started. I said, I will try it as a hobby. I had a day job. Most comics do, because when you're first starting out, you're not getting paid to do comedy. So uh, eventually I was able to retire the day job and, continue this for the last three decades. But my son is definitely uh, gung-ho to be an engineer. He will do it as a, a hobby. The other two haven't committed one way or the other. But frankly, I don't really want them to go into comedy. It's a really tough road to hoe. And, you know, you yeah. handle some guys, so you know this. It's not an easy path. That is the road less traveled for a reason. 
So, you know, there is no 401k, there's no health and dental. Uh, I married a comedian, so that's two of us that just went for a year and a half kind of unemployed. We did a lot of Zoom shows, but um, we were non-essential. That's what everyone told us. My mother-in-law prefers the term useless, but either way, it's hurtful. How about, what do you think about positivity? Because I had a conversation with one of our guys, and he's always questioning everything. Well, do people want to come see me? Do they, are they going to show up to the show? I'm like, don't just focus on your talent, right? Let us worry about the numbers and so forth. What, where do you think that, that comes from that angst? Sometimes there's some insecurity there. Well, I don't, I, I, uh, I shouldn't say this, but I really believe comics in general are, uh, we're a unique breed. I, I, we, uh, we're, we're not the most mentally balanced people on the planet. If you look at us, I, they say that dentists have the highest suicide rate, but I think comics are probably right up there with it. Um, we, you know, I can't tell you how many comics I know that are in and out of rehab or on their seventh wife or, you know, some kind of, uh, nightmare. You, you can't want the spotlight on you that much and need attention that much. And, you know, not have something going on in your head. It's just not normal behavior. Uh, but Seinfeld seems to be very balanced. And uh, I, I think I, you know, I'm, I'm not in rehab currently. So that's a good thing. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I, I just think uh, comics are unique. I, I'm not a psychiatrist, but I know that a lot of my comic friends uh, have seen psychiatrists. Uh, so I think, I think we're also a little insecure. I, comics yeah. are, I remember when I first did comedy, I would get off stage and go into the bathroom and stand in a bathroom, sit in a bathroom stall with the door shut because I wanted to hear what people said about the show when they came into the bathroom. Because guys that come into the bathroom, you know, when they're at the urinal or at the other toilet, uh, will say, oh, that guy sucked or that guy was great or you know, well, that guy was really funny. And that was my own insecurity. I had to hear that feedback from them without them knowing I was listening. Um, and that's not normal behavior. Guys shouldn't go to the bathroom and hide out in a bathroom stall to hear what people think about them. But uh, I think we're all a little insecure. So I try to be positive to your point. I, I think I am a pretty positive guy, uh, but I, there's a lot of negativity in our, in our industry. So yeah, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's very, it's very tough. I mean, comedy, they say comedy is the hardest genre to be successful in, in entertainment. Um, I mean, that's what I've heard um, per se, but um, well, when you think about it, like a Robin Williams or somebody like that, and you're thinking about their mind, mm. if you ever watch his, his set or, you know, his jokes, he would run three or, you know, two or three jokes, parallel, different stories, parallel at the same time and make them all funny. Now, you know, if, if someone is doing that, you know, there's a lot going on up there to be able to pull that off. So, you, you know, if he did two or three eight balls of cocaine, it, you know, he might have a little bit of an excuse there. I don't know. But, you know, outside looking in, I don't think people understand that per se. Uh, yeah, present company excluded, but I think comics in general are very brilliant people. I think they're, yeah. you, you have to be sharp. You, you can't be an idiot in our industry. You just can't. So, yeah, I think like Tommy Smothers, for example, of the Smothers Brothers, uh, is the zany guy, you know, and Dickie Smothers is the straight-laced uh, straight guy, as it were. Well, Tommy is the brilliant, you know, the guy behind everything. He writes all their material. He does all their bookings. He does everything. He's just brilliant, but he comes off a stage 
on stage as a character. And the character is like a Jerry Lewis, kind of an imbecile, but he certainly isn't. The guy is absolutely brilliant. So yeah, you know, I think all comics, uh, have uh they're not mutually exclusive you can still have depression and be brilliant and i think yeah. a lot of comics are in that vein they might be manic depressive or they might be bipolar or whatever i know a lot of comics that are like that but there are a lot of comics who are like ray romano and seinfeld and everybody who are just narrow straight and narrow, just family guys had their head on straight seem to be uh just very successful guys and well-balanced Uh, I'm going to have a sip of my, my green tea. It looks like you have Duncan. That's uh, no, that's a, it was McDonald's. I have. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a health nut. Um, so what, what is, and what's, what do you see in the future for you right now coming out of this pandemic somewhat? We're still getting some pullback. There's some areas that um, are still in the fence with certain regulations and so forth. Do you have a, a six month plan of of coming out of this thing? Well, you know where uh, it seems to be an uptick. It's kind of weird because now the Delta variant is in there, so people are you know they have some trepidation about booking things far out. But we are right now. The calendar is filling up, thank God, and uh, we've really been kind of busy lately. This last two weeks for me has been gangbusters. And I'm never going to complain about that. I will never say, oh my God, uh, I'm too busy because I just went through a year and a half of twirling my thumbs with every other comic that I know. So it's great to be back at it. Uh, and uh, these gigs that I'm taking, I'm taking with a grain of salt. I know they can cancel them again if this Delta variant goes out of control and we have to shut down things again. But I'm happy to have the, the dates on the calendar and uh, we'll just keep swinging away and uh, trying to get out there and tell jokes. My it's all C's for me. It always has been. It's uh, corporate gigs pay the best. So I do, I do a lot of corporate colleges, cruise ship casinos and comedy clubs. And then in the summer country clubs. So it's those C's I'm trying to work them all. I, I, uh, I know comics who are just kind of uh, one trick ponies. They just work on cruise ships or they just do the corporate market or just do colleges. I like to be well-rounded. I've been doing this a long time. So I have those relationships and um, yeah, we're just going to go back, put our nose to the grindstone and do it. And my wife's the same. Now, is there any part of the country that people can look for you uh, that you, that you frequent? Yeah. Florida, uh, even during the pandemic, because they were in a little bit of denial that we were in a pandemic. So thank God they were, cause I had live shows down there, um, during the pandemic. Uh, I do a lot in Florida. I do what they call the condo circuit in our language. Uh, there's these gated communities. The ones I do are primarily Jewish. I'm the token Gentile that gets to go and work these places. They're usually Jewish comics that work for them. But I got into the Friars Club a long time ago, 20 years ago, and I established those relationships. And so I did the Catskills, which is also a very Jewish-centric comedy world. And now they've all moved down to Florida, and I do those condos. I'm not you know, not just specifically the Jewish ones, but those seem to be the predominant ones. So I'm down there a lot doing those. They all have theaters, and they're great gigs. Uh, and then... The clubs down there also are very good to me and always have been. And so, yeah, that region, for whatever reason, is very good to me. But I'm also in the Midwest, and um, I get out west uh, on occasion as well. So what's uh, what's going on in New York right now? How's how's it? 
How's government? What's going on? Everything good? I mean, <laughs> it's a little intense when I was up there. I just, I don't, I don't do politics, so I don't want to, I don't pick a side. I just, I just try to talk about what, what's going on in people's lives. And when we were up there, it was a little intense. And uh, I'm just wondering if that's calmed down any, or is it still, it's still a little intense up there with everything you're, that's going you're on? You're smart not to wade into the politics, especially up here. It's a, it's a dumpster fire. It really is. Our our governor is Cuomo. You know all his uh, issues right now. And our mayor is de Blasio. And they're both Democrats, but they hate each other. And so yeah. they're taking every opportunity they can to snipe at each other. Uh, meanwhile, you know, the whole defund the police thing has caused our, our, our violent crime is through the roof right now. People are fleeing New York like rats off a burning ship. And so real estate is down because, you know, all these places are becoming empty and all the burbs around New York. You can't touch property around there for less than, you know, half a million over ask is what they're getting in Greenwich, Connecticut. So people are fleeing the city. It's unfortunate. I hope it can rebound. It always has. So I'm confident it will. But man, this was a tough one. This was a body blow because they had to empty all the homeless shelters because they were super spreaders. And all those homeless people came out onto the streets and, you know, the rich people on the Upper West Side did not want to step over needles and human beings on their way to their Wall Street jobs. So they all said, screw this. I'm not paying these taxes and living like this. So they all left. Yeah. And so it is kind of a nightmare. But the comedy scene is seems to be coming back, you know, so selfishly, I'm happy. Uh, the seller is working a lot. I was just at the comic strip. Uh, last night I was at Gotham Comedy Club. So they're all that, you know, there are, there are people coming out to see shows, thank God. And we hope that that continues. Now, did, did Caroline's open back up? I don't know. And, you know, that was the one, John, I, I was worried the most about them because they, for a year and a half, they had zero income, yet they're paying Times Square rent, which had to be yeah. exorbitant. I don't know what she pays, Caroline Hirsch, but but I also know she's very wealthy. And if someone can survive a year and a half of laying fallow, it, it would be her. But man, that was tough. We lost Dangerfields. Dangerfields, the oldest club in the city, is now gone. And the comic strip is, uh, you know, battling the state. They have a uh, unfortunately, one of their owners passed away during COVID. So there's a squabble over ownership of that. We hope that can survive. That's a great club, one of my favorites. So, yeah, we're, uh, we're trying to see where all the dust settles after a year and a half of no work. So so New York is still, the city is still having people get out of there till this day. The residents, yeah, and, and tourism is slowly trying to come back. But then, you know, these people read the headlines and the headlines are that violent crime is up. You've seen the the video clips of there are shootings in Times Square in broad daylight that never happened, you know, 10 yeah. years ago. So uh, since the time of Mayor Dinkins, when I used to date a girl in New York at the time when Dinkins was mayor and I would come down to visit her and I'd come above ground from the subway and there were homeless people everywhere. And God bless him, he tried, but it was just a tough thing. And then Giuliani came in cleaned everything up. Um, and then we've had some decent mayors since then that have kept the city uh, kind of on a good path. But right now it's, uh, and I don't blame de Blasio. I just know it's kind of, uh, you know, he was dealt a horrible hand with COVID and with the defund the police thing and all these things. So crime is really an issue. And de Blasio, I don't know why New York is shocked that de Blasio is a Boston Red Sox fan. How do you how do you elect a Red Sox fan <laughs> as the mayor of New York and not think that it's going to go poorly? But I know, right? and that's the way it is. Well, I will say this. Bloomberg, I think, did a hell of a job because 
when you're in the city, when Bloomberg was mayor, is like you're walking on a movie set. Yeah. I mean, it was clean. It was big. I mean, even though it's big brother and it had 25,000 cops, it was it was nice to be in the city and you didn't have to worry about much. But it seems like that has has gone away, I guess. It has. And again, I can't, I, you know, they really were dealt a bad hand. But uh, de Blasio was OK at first, I guess. I wasn't, you know, he's not my cup of tea, but um, he tried at least. I'm trying to be fair here. But Giuliani came in and literally bulldozed down crack houses and, you know, uh, did a lot to put a lot more cops on the street. And that was good. And then Bloomberg picked up the ball and ran with it from Giuliani and did uh, arguably a better job. I think a better job. Uh, but then, uh, you know, we're in our current state right now. And hopefully we can emerge like the Phoenix from the ashes when this is all done and be, be good. New York always comes back. It's yeah, always it resilient. But these people all fled to their, the rich people all went to their houses in the Hamptons or they went to their you know houses on Nantucket because they just wanted the heck out of New York and they're the tax base. So when they're leaving, that's trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, there has been some somewhat of a paradigm shift, I think. And I guess we'll see, like you said, see how what happens when the dust settles. I mean, I love New York and I love the energy and hopefully um, it'll get back to what it was, you know. Um, and we may I mean, we may eventually get a, an apartment there if we can find one cheap if the. You can right now. Now's the time. <laughs> Strike while the iron's hot. Get a presence in New York. Um, yeah, New York is, it's always been the comedy mecca. I always tell people, LA is great if you want to be an actor, but unless they roll out the red carpet for you and you have, you know, a great manager, a great agent, uh, you're going to get lost in LA. But in New York, there's, 18 comedy clubs, I believe it is now, just in Manhattan. So there's yeah. tons of stage time. And if you're willing to put in the work and get the stage time, you're you're going to be fine here. And it's going to be a great you know path for you to become the success that you want to be. And how about the stand? Is it is it moving? Yeah, well, it did move once. And I don't know since the pandemic. I haven't been there since the uh, since I don't know, even know if they've opened up again. Uh, I don't even know if they, when I go downtown, I usually work at the cellar. Uh, the cellar has four rooms. So you go down there, you do the underground, the fat black pussycat, the comic, the original comedy cellar and the cafe wa is right there. And those are all owned by the same people. And so when you call Esty who books it, who's a doll, she, uh, she'll fill up your weekend completely and you won't have to drive anywhere. You just walk to, from one room to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And she also pays pretty well. So it's a, nice. uh, when I go downtown, those are the ones I work just because I'm lazy and I don't want to have to get in a cab or an Uber. Uh, it's just easy. Yeah. Well, well, is there anything we want to hit on? Anything you want to put out there to the world at market, promote um, as we get down to closing this thing out? Sure. Uh, first of all, honored to be on with you. I'm really impressed with Bang. I, uh, you know, I, I looked up some of your stuff afterwards after I had chatted with Mr. McKinley and uh, impressive. And you guys really are kind of the wave of the future and you're seeing it happen. As I just said, I was at that club in Richmond, the Sandman Comedy Club, and they're telling me, as other clubs have, that uh, people with a strong social media presence are uh, really filling the rooms. And that's what the club owners want because you sell more booze, you sell more food and the admission ticket, and that's the way to go. Uh, so that's all been good for me. Personally, I have a book out. It's called Bad Dad. It's on Amazon. If you're a devout Muslim or a born-again Christian, that is not the book for you. It's a little <laughs> edgy. So uh, I did. I was on Huckabee. I don't know if you know the show Huckabee. I did a Huckabee, set on yeah. his show. Yeah, and his 
he's great. I love the guy. And uh, at the end of the uh, my performance and the interview, he held up my book, unbeknownst to me, and told his his viewers to buy the book for Father's Day. And uh, people bought the book, and they, these are very religious, devoutly religious people, and they were offended. And I, I felt horrible about that because I say <laughs> right inside the uh, cover of the book, you know, this is an edgy book. Please don't uh, don't if you're you're very sensitive. What's, give me a, give me a little scenario of a bad dad. Give, what's a, a Tom Cotter bad dad? I, uh, what is that? Give me a yeah, scenario. Right. We uh, it's just a bunch of interstitials. It's a little like little um, kind of one liners of about being a parent. It's, uh, you know, my dad uh, used to come home drunk and put me up on his shoulders and then he would jump up and down underneath the ceiling fan. It's that kind of stuff. Uh, um, it's uh, yeah, it's stupid stuff like that. My uh, it, how did that feel? I mean, are you OK from that? The, uh, that I got a hair, haircut. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> stupid things about being a parent, you know, teach your kids that words can hurt by throwing a dictionary at them, stuff like that. Uh, so it's a bunch of those little one liners. And it's uh, I think it's funny and I hope people will think it's funny. But if you're, again, very religious, that is not the reading material that you should seek out. Cool. Cool. Well, Tom, am I saying your last name right? Cotter? Cotter. Cotter, yeah, it's like Welcome Back, Cotter. Uh, Welcome Back, Carter. Okay. Yeah, C-O-T-T-E-R. Remember that show? Yep, I do remember that show. Yeah, uh, yeah that was, uh, I was a little young, younger, but yeah, that's Welcome Back, Carter. It was a good show. It was great. Was you when, an African-American kid, an Italian kid, a Jewish kid, and a Hispanic kid living in Brooklyn, and they were all best friends, which I Dream of Genie was more believable than that show. But uh, yeah. anyway, it was fun to watch. and um, but, That's uh, what we need to get back to. We need to get back to simplicity. I agree. You know, I think if if we can make things simple, you know, people might start being humans again. You know? Wouldn't that be a joy? Your lips to God's <laughs> ears. I would love that. Well, if anybody's out there and see the name Tom Cotter, very, very funny guy, check out his book, um, Bad Dad. And, yeah, it, it was enjoying to talk to you. Give me a little bit of the – information about new york saying i haven't missed much since i've been gone and no but you should come back everyone should come back we'd love to have you we're open for business absolutely i will be back and like i said we may get an apartment back up there and we'll see what happens in the next couple months but uh yes tom appreciate you coming on the show and this has been your unimpressed this has been your unimpressed podcast and i'm john edmonds cosmo the ceo of bank productions When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.